This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kyabram. You can visit us at www.lwkyabram.com. It's just something about the small, still voice. I was thinking about it as I um, prepared. This, this week's been really weird because I, I got back into my office on Tuesday and I started five sermons on Tuesday. It was just like one after another. It was just like, okay, that's good. Yep, that's good. Yep, that's good. And so I've, got, I've, got, I've now got eight sermons um, on the go at the moment. And, um, but this was the first thing God started to speak to me about on Tuesday was about the small, still voice. And I know in my life, when you hang around loud people, any, any people got loud people in their life? Where it's like, you know, you, you, you just know they're there. There is no doubt that they are there. It, it's like, you know, those wooden floors and in the middle of the night? It's not like the fairy steps. It's like the dance of the baby elephants. Those sorts of people where everything is large and everything is big and everything is loud. You know, I don't mind being around loud people for a while, but I find after a while it starts to grate me. It starts to annoy me and it starts to be like, you know what, 12 hours a day it's okay, but I'd like some peace for the other 12 at least. You know, when I lay my head down at night, one, a couple of the caravan parks we stayed at on the way up, we just did a few overnighters, and they were right on the mule. And there was one where the train track ran through the middle of the, the um, caravan park. And Lynette, Pastor Lynette said to me, she said, well, surely there won't be any trains in the middle of the night. I said, no, surely not. Three o'clock in the morning. And they have to blow their whistle. Hello? <laughs> Wake up? <laughs> Type thing. And, and so, you know... Loud is okay, but there's something special about the small, still voice. And I'll let you in on a little secret. If I'm in trouble, I don't like the loud voice. I like the gentle voice. If someone is speaking to me, it's like, and, you know, there's an issue, I don't like it when it's like that starts to rise up and the volume starts to get higher and higher. And what I tend to do is, even though my dominant personality type is sanguine, I have to fight the fact where it's like, you know, because if I'm not careful, I will revert back to the peaceful type personality, and I'll start to speak less, and I'll start to shrink back more, and I'll start to not express what is truly on my heart anymore because of the volume that is being projected towards me. And so, we're going to look at tonight, and let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. You probably already have guessed that by now, if you're a true believer. Any true believers in the place? No, I'm not sure. I know it's been four weeks, but you'll have to get used to my sense of humor again, okay? I know Pastor Bruce would never say such things. He, he would just encourage you to the back teeth. So just take that seatbelt off. Get offended at anything I say over the next few weeks. Just breathe in, breathe out. It'll be okay. So... 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9, it says, Then he came to a cave where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Have you ever had that question where it's like you turn up somewhere and it's like, What are you doing here? You know, that sense of surprise where, where it's like, you know, and I, I know this isn't the case, but, you know, my imagination's sort of like, you know, God's just hanging out in the cave and all of a sudden Elijah turns, what are you doing here? This is my cave. What are you doing in this place? 
Verse 10, Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Woe is me. And there's this moment where it's like God asks Elijah a pivotal question for the season that he was in at that time. So Elijah, what are you doing here? Notice Elijah's avoidance in the answer because he didn't actually answer the question. What he did was he did the political spin. He did the political spin where he spoke about other stuff instead of talking about the reason or the true reason that he was there. And if we're not careful, we will do that when it comes to our conversations with God. Because hopefully over the last four weeks, at some point, someone has spoken about the fact in the messages here at Living Waters that our relationship is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so there's this moment where it's like Elijah and God are having a very personal conversation. And if you look at what Elijah does is he shifts the focus off himself and he puts it on everyone else. He says this. He says, well, you know what? I've been good. I've been zealous, I've been in there, I've been praying, I've been doing this. In actual fact, I've been killing those prophets of Baal. I've been winning great victories for your kingdom. I've been out there and I've been doing good things. But your people, God, your people have broken your covenant. And then he says this, he says, torn down your altars, God. Killed every one of your prophets, God. See, what he does is he shifts the focus off himself and he takes on a burden that isn't his to carry. In actual fact, if Elijah was sitting there and the answer was, well, um, all my people have broken my covenants, all my people have torn down my altars, all my people have turned against me and all my people are being killed, then you know what? He probably has a right to be sitting in a cave going, this ain't good. But look at the conversation here where it's like it's your people, God. It's not his responsibility. It's actually God's responsibility. And in our life, in our Christianity, one of the things I've learned in life is I have to be really determined to work out what is God's responsibility and what's my responsibility. And I try not to mix the two up because when I mix the two up, it brings trouble upon my life. When I take on the burden that only God can carry or when I take on the problem that only God can fix, then my life is racked with anxiety, fear and worry. But when I fix what I can fix and when I fix what's in my court to fix, you know, to hit the ball back that's in my court and not worry about what's in God's court, you know what? Life goes easier. Life goes better. Verse 11. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And Elijah stood there and stood there. The Lord passed by. The mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. Notice Elijah's response when he heard the gentle whisper. Verse 13, when Elijah heard it, 
he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here? What are you doing? Imagine if the earthquake asked that question. Can you imagine if the fire or the wind that was so strong, this wind was strong because it actually talks about the fact that the wind shifted rocks. That's a windstorm. I mean, I've been in some pretty heavy windstorms. But, you know, it actually says that this windstorm shifted rocks. But God wasn't in that wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. Um, can you imagine if, the, like I was saying, those three things had said, what are you doing here? I reckon Elijah would have been a melted mess on the floor. See, God will come to us and lead us with what we need. I have a mission in life. I don't like it when God yells at me. You know, I don't like it when God does the parent voice. You know that parent voice? It's interesting at the moment because we've got um, Katrina and her kids living at our house at the moment. And um, I've forgotten what it's like to have little kids. You know, to some extent, I do remember. It's, it's sort of a vague memory there in my old man brain and that sort of stuff. But, but I've forgotten about the thing where it's like, you know, well, go and do this. And they're just off in their own little world. So the first response is, well, can you go and do this? And then the next response is, can you go and do this? And then by about the fourth or fifth, it's like screaming. Not saying Katrina does this. Don't, don't put, put it like, you know, but, but it's like when, when the parent raises their voice to catch the attention of the child is something that I never want to happen in my relationship with Jesus. You know, people say to me sometimes, I've never heard the audible voice of God. I don't want to hear the audible voice of God because if I have to hear the audible voice of God, what it means is I haven't been listening to the look. I haven't been listening to the call. I haven't been listening to, you know, it's like our song leaders. Our musos are amazing. Our song leader will do something like this. Turn around and go, chorus! Turn around and go, bridge! It's just a hand movement and they're all in unity, and they're all together, and they're all just like in one accord. Good. Except for those ones that play with their eyes shut. That's called catch-up playing. <laughs> anyway. See, I want my relationship with Jesus to be still small voice. Not even fire. And I get that because of Pentecost, we concentrate on the fire and that sort of stuff. But you know what? I would rather the still small voice before the fire. Because my life is safer with the still small voice and responding to that part than responding where it has to be rocks shaking and things breaking and that around me before he catches my attention. Verse 14, he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. Now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael as king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu as king of Israel. Anoint Elijah to, to, to replace you as prophet. Verse 17, anyone who escapes Hazael will be killed by Jehu. Those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 700 others in Israel who have never bowed to Baal or kissed him. See, Elijah here is on the back of a great victory. 
If you read the verses leading up to this and the chapters leading up to it, it's when um, he challenged the prophets at Mount Carmel and it was like, you know, the, it's a great story. I don't like preaching it because there's lots of blood and guts. And it's a bit hard to explain the Old Testament fury some days when it comes to the, the massacre of, of Baal's prophets and that sort of stuff. But, but you know, it, so off the back of this great victory, off the back of this um, victory came the story that we've just heard, came the depression that Elijah drove himself into, came to that point where it's like, you know what? There's no use me even eating or no use me even sustaining my body anymore if you read the story where it's like God has to send unclean birds to feed him where it's like so his strength can be um, renewed because his job wasn't over yet. So on the back of this victory and on the back of our victories come great challenge. And if I can encourage you tonight, it would be in this statement Victory does not mean that the fight is over. Your victory does not mean your fight is over. What it means is you've won a battle. And in actual fact, I reckon that the greatest times when I've been tempted the most and the greatest times in my life when I've been challenged the most have been on the back of great victories. Where it's like, hey, isn't God good? It's like, whoa, we're getting somewhere and all of a sudden, boom. So victory doesn't mean the fight is over. Victory actually means that, you know what, we need to be aware of the next battle. We need to be aware of the next battle. Enjoy your victories. Celebrate the wins by all means. You know, rejoice, build those testimonies and speak because your testimony is important because when you speak your testimony, you overcome the devil. And so don't just close off. Don't just close off, but be aware. Be aware. Be conscious that your victory does not mean the fight is over. What it means is, you know what? We've won a battle. You know, be ready for the next. Be ready for the next. So the still still small voice. This is what God spoke to me this week about the still small voice. It does a number of things to us. The first thing is this, that it causes us to stop. Should be some slides there somewhere, hopefully. Yep, still small voice. Causes us to stop. You can't hear the still small voice when you're running around. You can't hear the still small voice when you're freaking out. You can't hear the still small voice when you're going, Wah! when you're in panic mode, the voice gets drowned out by your own worry and concern and that sort of stuff. You will only hear the still small voice when you stop, when you pause. There is a power in the pause. We are so busy. We are so even when we're on holidays, we get busy, do we not? I am a terrible person to go on holidays with. It's like, what are we doing next? What are we doing next? <laughs> a little bit hyperactive in some things. It's like, yeah, well, that was good, but what are we going to do next? And we had three and a half days of constant rain up in the Sunshine State. <laughs> they think they're the Sunshine State. I was looking at your weather, and I'm thinking, you know what? It's cold in the mornings, but I think I'd rather be there at the moment. <laughs> So there's these moments where it's like, well, what are we going to do next? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What are we going to see? What are we going to do? We're going to have ice cream again for lunch? Yes. There's, I learned a secret about holidays is you can eat ice cream for lunch and get away with it. Because every shop we went into and said, we're having ice cream for lunch, they said, and so you should, you're on holidays. They happen to own the shop as well. But anyway. So the small, still voice, actually, you have to stop to hear it. You have to pause to hear it. 
You have to slow down to be able to hear it. You have to quieten some other noise around you. When we were in a car driving in the middle of nowhere, we'd have the music going and we'd be in conversation together. And there was times I'd have to turn the music down because it was a little bit loud for me to be able to hear the conversation without us yelling over the top of the music. And so what happens is when the still small voice comes, you have to actually physically stop what you're doing and you have to listen. The second thing you need to do, or the second thing that it causes us to do, is the still small voice causes us to concentrate, to take in what's being said. Mark, and then tell me off later. But some of you would have to lean in. Some of you would have to concentrate on what's being said. Some of you would have to listen a little bit harder. And that's what I love about the still small voice, is what it does is it causes me to concentrate on what's being said. It causes me to not only stop, but to hang on, what's being said? I, I need to listen to this. I need to concentrate on the words. And um, one of the things I've found is as I get older and because I've spent a lot of time playing music and uh, in like playing loud music and that sort of stuff. My hearing's not what it used to be. And so sometimes I have to actually concentrate harder and it'll even get to a point where not only concentrate on what's being said, but concentrate on what's being presented as well. It might be I'll have to start to lip read a little bit more. I might have to um, just think, well, okay, the conversation is tracking here, so I'm assuming that what you're saying is this. You have to concentrate on the conversation that's being had when it's a still, small voice. When it's the booming voice, oh, you don't have to. Everyone knows. Now, that moment in school when your name gets called over the loudspeaker to go to the office, everyone knows. They're just hanging out for the next break, whether it's recess or lunch, to find out why. You've got friends coming out of the woodwork that you didn't know you had. What happened? Pastor Lynette got called to the office. What'd she do? Still, small voice causes us to concentrate on what's being said. The third thing is it causes us to actually come near. When someone whispers, the answer is not to step away. The answer is actually to come near, to come close. Um, I was watching a little bit of Wimbledon. Any, anyone like tennis? I hate tennis. It's a stupid game. It is. It's, it's a, like, there's, no, there's no contact. It's, it's a girl's sport, okay? No, don't get offended. Like I said, if, if, you, if you get offended tonight, just breathe in. Breathe out. It's all okay. It's all okay. I was watching on YouTube, there's a couple of clips. There's like funny moments from Wimbledon. And one of the girls' um, doubles matches, it's like they're talking about the tactics. And sport is very competitive. There'll be people lip reading. And that's why in the doubles they go like this, so that the people lip reading can't give the information to the other people about the tactic of how they're going to play the next point. And these girls are so close. It's like their, nose, their noses were touching because they were whispering. You know, there's crowd noise and there's all this noise around them as well. And their noses are so close. The commentator go, are they going to kiss? You know, it's like that's how close they were. But they had to get in close because they didn't want to express too loud what was happening. See, when it's a still small voice, it actually causes us not only to stop, not only to concentrate on what's being said, but it causes us to actually lean in. To lean, if you forget everything else I say tonight, please remember that term. We have to lean in to hear the still small voice. And what we often do is because we're human beings, is we get the gist, 
of what's being said and then we lean out. We don't hear the whole thing. Or we could be like Elijah where it's like the, the, the still small voice says this. It says, what are you doing here? Why are you here in this cave? And what God was saying to Elijah is really you're meant to be somewhere else. So what are you doing here? You're meant to be doing the work of the Lord that you're hiding away in a cave because you think that dread is coming. You think that dread is happening. And I want to tell you, I am sick of dread talk in life. I am sick of people talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because it's, they're not talking about it in a positive way. They're talking about it in the way of tribulation, of dread, of pain, of this. I'm going to encourage you tonight. This world will create pain for your life. If you don't believe me, read Hebrews chapter 11, which is the faith chapter, but don't stop at the faith chapter. Read Hebrews chapter 12 as well because it talks about how people were burned at the stake, how they were pulled apart and how they were all this, but they still had faith. Care if I'm in one piece or being teared apart. As long as I've got faith, it's okay. And our physical circumstances happening to us at the moment, even as a nation, is not an indication of our faith level. In actual fact, I think it's a trick of the devil where it's like they say, well, that person doesn't have enough faith. No. Oh, Hebrews 11 talks about the fact that the men of faith actually died without even seeing the promise. But they still died full of faith. They still died full of faith. Why? Because they knew it was coming. So the still small voice will cause us to lean in, to come near. So what's the result? Let's talk about the result as we finish up. I want to punish myself this weekend. I've been away for four weeks, so I have to preach three times. Just, just to punish myself. Because all the other preachers are going, I want to do it. <laughs> no, that's not true. They would have. They, they would have done. I just felt like I wanted to. So what's the result? Result number one, the still small voice gives us direction. Look at verse 15. It says, the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. I think it's interesting that Elijah has just come out of a horrific season, personal season for his emotions. He's just come out of a horrific time for his emotions and God sends him back to the desert. Woohoo! Yay! Can't we go back via the Jordan Valley? Can't we go back by the lush fields? Can't we go back by the pretty daisies in the field and all that sort of stuff? No. Go back. See, he was never meant to leave the wilderness. He was never meant to leave that place. And so... When God tells us in the still, small voice, you know what? You're not meant to be where you are. You're meant to be somewhere else. We just need to obey. We just need to go back. So direction was given. Direction was given. Well, you know what, Elijah? I know you're here. You're not meant to be here. You're actually meant to be there. So get on your horse and get there. So when we listen to the still, small voice, direction, direction will always be there. I mean always. I mean always. We just got to hear the still small voice. Because what we do is the still small voice says this, go and do this. And we hear the loud boom crash opera, could be a band, boom crash opera. We hear the breaking of rocks. We hear the rustling of wind in things like, yeah, but what if? 
But what happens? I'm not qualified. I'm not this. I'm not good enough. I'm a dirty rotten sinner. We hear the wind and the breaking of rocks. We hear fire come upon us and we listen to that instead of listening to the still small voice. Because in the still small voice, I can guarantee 100%, I would stake my life on it. Correction is fair. We just have to hear it. We not only have to hear it, but we have to accept it as well. The next thing that happens or happened to Elijah which I believe also happens to us when we lean into the still small voice, his purpose was reinstated. He's sitting there going, oh, woe is me, I'm the only one. God is going, you donkey. God is going, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Elijah, what are you talking about? Look at verse 15 and 16. Then the Lord told him to go back the same way and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And there, uh, when you arrive there, anoint Hazel, king of Aram. And anoint Jehu, king of Israel, and anoint Elisha um, to replace you as prophet. And so all of a sudden he went from a place of, woe is me, of self-destruction. He went from that place of sitting and throwing ashes on his head. He went from that place to all of a sudden, you know what, I've got purpose again. I got purpose again. Not only I'm going to the wilderness. Why? Because there's a reason I have to be in the wilderness. Because that's where Hazael is. Tell him to go to the city. Go Tell him to go to the nice places. Tell him to go sit in the nice green park and I'll meet him there. No, you have to go to where he is. And so purpose was reinstated. The third thing that happened was that reassurance was found. Reassurance was found. Can I encourage you that when you listen to the still small voice, reassurance is there. Listen to these words. Because you've got to remember where Elijah is. We, we have the beauty of hindsight, but think about where he is. He's thinking he's the only one left. When he left Mount Carmel and when he did a runner because he was, life was threatened, he thought he was the only one left. Reassurance in the still small voice came in this way in verse 18. It says, yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have not bowed down to Baal or kissed him. See, there's this moment where Elijah went from being, woe is me, I'm the only one, to you know what? There's 7,000 others just like me. Reassurance. I don't know about you, but I find that reassuring. Can you imagine, young people, if you were like, oh, I'm the only one in my school, I'm the only one that believes in Jesus, and then all of a sudden the still small voice goes, nah, there's more. They're there. They're there. Just got to call them. Just got to get them. So in conclusion, victory will lead to greater battles. Our victories are not the end. Really, they're only the beginning. So victories will lead to greater battles. We need to encourage ourselves and we need to encourage each other to actually physically lean in. So physically lean in. And when we receive, or sorry, not only do we need to lean in and hear, but we need to receive the word and we need to obey the word that's given as well. Fantastic. Hey, Musos, why don't you come back? I've got a message brewing about friends. It was one of the things God spoke to me about when we're away because the reason we went to Queensland was not because of the sun because no sun up there. It wasn't because of fish. It wasn't because I enjoy driving. The reason we went to Queensland and not maybe to South Australia or Western Australia or other places was because we had some friends who were living in Queensland and one of them we hadn't seen for 15 years and we were meant to go there in 2020, but of course the borders got shut 
and we couldn't do it. And so the only reason we drove, when we drove, was it four and a half thousand kilometres all up? Yeah, really just to catch up with some friends, just to see some friends, just to take them out for dinner, just to have coffee with them. And all the other stuff was just by and by. All the other stuff was just, you know, the fishing was fun and all that sort of stuff. But the reason we did it was because of friends. Well, you know what? As friends, we need to encourage each other. So if you can encourage each other in the coming weeks, in the coming months, that you need to slow down, you need to lean in, and you need to hear the still, small voice. Still small. Because there's times when God speaks in earthquakes. The Bible talks about it and talks about it in the Old Testament how his voice shakes mountains. So if the voice of God is booming around you, don't hear my message tonight and say, well, it can't be God because it could be God. He speaks in the fire. In actual fact, we sang it tonight. There's another in the fire, right in the midst of the fire. Last night at the bonfire, I'm sitting there with one of the TC guys and he goes, oh, I'm just waiting for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to walk out. It's like, okay, don't think that'll happen, but okay. <laughs> you can sit there. I'll just talk to you about something else. <laughs> but we experience God in the middle of fires. We experience him there. We experience him when the wind is blowing. Look at the day of Pentecost. Radically shook the place, the wind. But you know what? I want to hear the still small voice. I want to be responsive to And actually, I don't want to be at the point where I'm hearing his voice. I want to be at the point where I'm just getting that look. If you've been married any amount of time, you know the look, especially if you're male. It's like you'll say something. It happened a number of times while we're away. He's saying something, I'll look across the table, oh, mum's here. <laughs> the look, the look. That's, I, I want to be look responsive. I want to be look responsive. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabram. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabram.com.